Hi there, I'm Nicolette Reed, and this is EIB Export News. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. Today's show is going to be all about the latest going on with Russia, which is a whole government approach. So please stick around and see what you can learn. At the beginning of March, Assistant Secretary Elizabeth Rosenberg spoke at the Association of Women in International Trade on the topic of terrorist financing and financial crimes. She said, Russia will continue to look for ways to work around our measures. The coming year will be about ensuring that our sanctions architecture is fully enforced and effective, in particular by figuring out and cracking down on the ways Russia evades sanctions. To give you an example, from one country of focus for us, we are concerned that between July and November of 2022, the United Arab Emirates companies exported over $18 million worth of goods to U.S.-designated Russian entities. Also, between June and November of 2022, the United Arab Emirates companies exported over $5 million worth of U.S. origin, U.S. export-controlled goods to Russia, including but not limited to semiconductor devices, some of which that can be used on the battlefield. These types of figures are the basis for our engagement with the private sector so that we can clarify the consequences of violating sanctions and export controls and discuss high-risk activity and act when necessary. Specifically, we have implemented over 100 sanctions for evasion networks across many jurisdictions, but this is about more than just designations. This is about making the choice to clear companies and banks. You can do business with the countries that constitute more than 50% of the world's GDP and its most convertible and stable currencies, or do business with those who facilitate Russia's war. The Disruptive Technology Strike Force is a joint venture in more than 10 cities that will enforce U.S. laws protecting U.S. advanced technologies from illegal acquisition and use by nation-state adversaries. The Department of Justice and the Department of Commerce are launching the Disruptive Technology Strike Force under the leadership of the Justice Department's National Security Division and the Commerce Department's Bureau of Industry and Security, BIS. The Strike Force will bring together experts throughout the government, including the FBI, Homeland Security Investigations, HSI, and the 14 U.S. Attorney's Offices in 12 metropolitan regions across the country to target illicit actors and strengthen supply chains and protect critical technology assets from being acquired or used by nation-state adversaries. The strike force will be co-led by Assistant Attorney General Matthew G. Olson of the Justice Department's National Security Division and Assistant Secretary for Export Enforcement Matthew Axelrod of the Commerce Department's Bureau of Industry and Security. This strike force is designed to protect U.S. national security by preventing those sensitive technologies from being used for malign purposes. The strike force will operate in 12 metropolitan regions across the United States with oversight and support from local U.S. attorney's offices in Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, Miami, New York City, southern and eastern districts of New York, San Jose, California, Phoenix, Portland, Oregon, and the Washington, D.C. region, District of Columbia, and the Eastern District of Virginia. According to Assistant Attorney General for National Security, Matthew Olson, 
Ever since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, a DOJ priority has been the robust enforcement of U.S. export and sanction laws, as well as cracking down on efforts to evade those laws. Last year saw numerous DOJ enforcement actions in this area involving seizures of private planes and yachts belonging to alleged Russian oligarchs and criminal charges against allegedly oligarch-affiliated service providers for sanction violations, including charges against a former high-ranking FBI official for violating U.S. sanctions and anti-money laundering laws. Additional corporate enforcement actions by Axelrod consist of wanting companies to invest in compliance because front-end prevention is what protects national security. Increasing BIS enforcement, OEE has a real priority on partnerships, businesses, universities, interagency, and international partnerships, working on policy changes and the process for voluntary disclosures. The following arrests and cases against exports benefiting Russia were done as part of the new improved interagency collaboration between Homeland Security, the FBI, the Eastern District of New York DA's office, as well as Customs Border Patrol. In Kansas City, there were arrests for U.S. nationals sending U.S. aviation technology over to Russia. In New York, New York, spectrum analyzers, signal generators were coming to the U.S. and ultimately ending up in Russia and North Korea. And in South Carolina, there was another case involving sending aerospace blueprints to China, which is a tech data violation. They are really cracking down on sanctions, evasions, and money laundering, including klepto capture. The first meeting of these enforcement agencies were already held in Miami with DCIS, FBI, HSI, and OEE. So what can you export to Russia? Food, medicine, clothing, medical devices, humanitarian aid, and not much else without a license. And there is also a presumption of denial for licenses. That is why diversions are up. So now the U.S. government expects you to be extra diligent about end users and end uses. If you do not have a detailed, comprehensive end user, end use statement and process in place, you should contact us. In addition, we would be happy to review what you do have in place and make comments about where you might be able to improve. If you want to see the specifics of what is prohibited to Russia, please review the following supplements. Supplement number two to part 746, Russian and Belarusian industry sector sanction list for oil and gas industry restrictions. Supplement number four to part 746, Russian and Belarusian industry sector sanctions includes virtually everything. Look for yourself. These lists are HTS driven, in line with the EU restrictions, and can include many, many EAR 99 parts and products, which remember, EAR 99 parts and products are considered usually very low tech and are usually very easy to get licenses for, but not in the case with Russia. You're also going to want to review supplement number five to part 746, which includes luxury goods sanctions for Russia and Belarus, which now includes spirits, tobacco, makeup, perfume, etc. There are new types of diversion and evasion tactics that you need to be aware of. The following evasion tactics have been recognized by DOJ as recent attempts to avoid the regulations. Claiming that shell companies located in third countries were intermediaries or end users. Claiming that certain end items would be used by entities engaged in activities subject to less stringent oversights. Dividing shipments of controlled items into multiple, smaller shipments to try to avoid law enforcement detection. Using aliases for the identities of the intermediaries and end users. 
transferring funds from shell companies to foreign jurisdictions into U.S. bank accounts and quickly forwarding or distributing the funds in order to avoid the audit trail of the foreign source of the money. Making false or misleading statements on shipping forms, including underestimating the purchase price of merchandise by more than five times the actual amount. Or finally, claiming to do business not on behalf of a restricted end user, but rather on behalf of a U.S.-based shell company. Here are additional red flags to think about. These emphasize the importance of an effective compliance program tailored to the risks a business faces, such as diversion by a third party or intermediaries, use of corporate vehicles, examples are legal entities such as shell companies and legal arrangements to obscure ownership, source of funds, or countries involved, reluctance by a customer to share information about the end use of a product, including reluctance to complete an end user end use form, Those of you who are knowledgeable about export compliance know that avoiding the end-use, end-user question has always been a huge red flag in the exporting compliance world. Other red flags include use of shell companies to conduct international wire transfers, often involving financial institutions in jurisdictions distinct from company registration, declining customary installation, training, or maintenance of the purchased items, IP addresses that do not correspond to a customer's reported location data. Last-minute changes to shipping instructions that appear contrary to customer history or business practices. Payment coming from a third-party country or in business not listed on the end-user end-use statement or other applicable end-user form. Use of personal email accounts instead of company email addresses. Operation of complex and or international businesses using residential addresses or addresses common to multiple closely held corporate entities. Changing standard letters of engagement that obscure the ultimate customer. Transactions involving a change in shipments or payments that were previously scheduled for Russia or Belarus. Transactions involving entities with little or no web presence. Routing purchases through certain transshipment points commonly used to illegally redirect restricted items to Russia or Belarus. Such locations may include China, including Hong Kong and Maku, and jurisdictions close to Russia, including Armenia, Turkey, and Uzbekistan. The Joint Compliance Note urges companies to conduct risk-based due diligence screening on current and new customers, intermediaries, and counterparties through the Consolidated Screening List, and OFAC sanction lists. These new rules expand within the EAR to enhance the existing sanctions against Russia and Belarus by expanding the scope of Russian and Belarusian industry sector restrictions, oil and gas production, commercial and industrial items, chemical and biological precursors, and the luxury goods I mentioned earlier. Sanctions to better align with controls that have been implemented by the U.S. allies and partners imposing substantially similar controls on Russia and Belarus are also in place. We have also added export control measures on Iran under the Export Administration Regulations, EAR, to address Iranian UAVs and their use by Russia against the Ukraine. The rule summary is as follows. Recent investigations indicate that pieces of Iranian UAVs have been found on the battlefield in Ukraine, in some cases with U.S.-branded parts and components. Today's rule imposes new export control measures on Iran in order to address the use of Iranian UAVs by Russia in its ongoing war against the Ukraine by imposing license requirements 
for a subset of generally low-tech EAR-99 items, including semiconductors that are destined for Iran, regardless of whether a U.S. person is involved in the transaction or not. Establishes a new list, Supplement Number 7 to Part 746, identifying these EAR-99 items by HTS-6 code to allow BIS and other U.S. government agencies to track and quantify these exports. Creates a new Iran Foreign Direct Product, FDP, rule, specific to Iran for items in certain categories of the commerce control list of the EAR, including EAR-99 items identified in the new supplement. It also revises the existing Russia-Belarus FDP rule to cover EAR-99 items that have been found in UAVs containing parts and components branded for the U.S. or U.S. origin, although they may not actually be U.S. branded or U.S. origin, which will help to ensure that U.S. products are not available for shipment to Iran for use in the manufacture of UAVs being used by Russia in the Ukraine. Also included in Supplement Number 2 to Part 746, this rule expands the scope of the items that are subject to the Russian and Belarusian industry sector sanctions by revising newly added Paragraph A in the introductory text to specify that the items captured include any modified or designed components, parts, accessories, and attachments, therefore, regardless of their HTS code or HTS description. In many cases, these components, parts, and accessories, and attachments are not specifically identified by HTS code or HTS description. Paragraph A also specifies that the expansion does not include any part or minor component that is a fastener. So an example of that would be a screw, bolt, nut, plate, stud, insert, clip, rivet, pin, etc. Washer, spacer, insulator, grommet, bushing, spring, wire, or solder is also not included. By expanding the scope of the items set forth in the supplement in this manner, this revision aligns with the aspect of supplement number two with supplement number four, which also include the same text for components, parts, accessories, and attachments, and generally promotes and enhances the strength and effectiveness of the sanctions set forth in this supplement. In closing, if you have not tightened your EAR compliance program yet, you really, really need to. The United States and its allies, NATO members, and partners around the globe are looking to shut down Russian aggression through a new kind of world war via actual, international, coordinated, and mutually enforced sanctions. If it works, this will be the first time in history a global war was conducted effectively without direct warfare from nation states, but rather economic pressure and tight, tight squeeze. If you're interested in getting more guidance on Russia, please visit us on the web at www.eib.com or give us a call at 978-256-0438. My name is Nicolette. I'm from EIB. I was your host. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next month. But until then, remember, export compliance, it's the law. We make it simple.